Welcome to the Pedagogy Podcast brought to you by the Bristol Institute of Learning and Teaching. Each week we look at a different piece of the pedagogy pie and see how we can inspire exciting new practice at the University of Bristol. We hope you enjoy this slice of teaching and learning engagement. Uh, my name is Louise Halson and today I am joined by uh, Andy Wakefield. If you'd like to give us a little bit of an intro as to who you are and where you're from in the institution, that would be great. Thanks, Lou. Uh, so I'm a senior lecturer over in the School of Biological Sciences. I teach topics such as ecology and conservation biology. I'm Pathway 3 member of staff, so my focus is entirely on teaching, being innovative, trying new things. I supervise loads of different student projects. I'm not afraid of taking a few risks with some of my teaching. I feel like I've got the confidence enough to do that. They don't always pan out right. But I like to think that students' learning experience should be fun in some way. And I think some of the things I've tried, tried to promote that as well as lots of other kind of good practice within teaching and learning. So thinking about uh, this innovative practice that you're talking about here, we're looking at learner-generated digital media within this pedagogy podcast. So what kind of problems are you trying to fix by using this particular method? I kind of noticed that a lot of our assessment within the school was really focused on doing lab reports, doing essays, uh, whether that was continuous assessment or end of unit sort of summary exams. And it felt very unimodal kind of form of communication for our students. And I don't think that really reflects the skills they're going to need uh, when they graduate. You know, a lot of communication day to day isn't done through writing essays and doing lab reports. Sure, it's got a definitely got a place. Um, it's a key kind of academic skill for our biologists and zoologists. But I was really keen to kind of mix it up a little bit. I've got a bit of training or previous experience in filmmaking prior to doing a PhD and, and then becoming a lecturer. So I kind of wanted to use some of my skills there uh, and bring that into my teaching a bit. My first entry into doing learner-generated digital media was was actually a nudge by some colleagues. Within the school, we have a week-long workshop that happens at the end of second year for our students and uh, the students have to pick one from about 15 different options Um, we've got a huge amount of choice and uh, this particular year we were looking for new workshops to be generated and a couple of my colleagues um, actually thought about doing a science communication uh, using filmmaking unit that they could pick Um, and they knew I had prior experience so we kind of I jumped in and helped out with, with some experience there one thing kind of led to another and, and that field course is still running five years later but I've actually now taken the same sort of principles and I use that within another unit that I teach on conservation biology uh, where I get students to make podcasts in pairs and, and that was a real transformation from what they used to do which was writing a, an individually written essay on a topic within conservation biology and um, I didn't really feel like it reflected the manner in which there's quite a lot of debate within the field about different solutions to conservation problems and biodiversity issues. There's often no kind of one right answer. And again, coming back to the original point I made, it didn't really help to tackle some of those skills that students are going to need in terms of communication. So with that particular unit, I kind of was a bit bold and and went to uh, replace that essay with a pair-produced podcast task, which meant that students could still have the same topic and learn about something within conservation biology but they could do that as a pair and they could research as a pair they could discuss they could bounce ideas off each other they could build some digital literacy and learning how to produce podcasts they could gain all these skills in communication but also in teamwork and collaboration 
and yeah, we've been doing that for four years now, and it's kind of gone from strength to strength. That sounds fascinating, and it's it's nice to have like that inception of we're talking about a podcast on a podcast. It's always good to have. <laughs> exactly. Um, so in terms of, of finding the background here, so you have got a background, obviously, in, in doing digital things. Um, where did you kind of find the grounding in terms of theory and linking that to your practice? Just to clarify, my background was very amateurish. You know, it was hobbyish. Um, uh, there wasn't really any formal training. I came to Bristol because it was a great place for natural history filmmaking, just like many of our students do. And that was one of the reasons why we set up that communication of science through filmmaking as a week-long workshop to to fulfill that desire of our students. In terms of grounding it within pedagogic theory, I knew it was all the right ideas, but but then trying to yeah put that into context of existing literature... I found some work by an author called uh, Jorge Reina, who's based in Sydney. I think he's a digital technologist. And he and many colleagues over at Sydney have actually produced a number of papers. They're all, they're all very similar, but they're all very helpful. And there's a couple of papers that I've used quite a lot to help me just check in with what I'm doing and making sure I'm not missing out on anything really important in terms of setting up the assessment that I do, setting up the activities that go around it, make sure there's suitable constructive alignment with everything. So there's a paper from 2017 written by Rayner and colleagues that's all about the kind of um, taxonomy of learner-generated digital media. And it's a really useful starting place for anyone thinking about doing this because it goes through the different domains that you need to think about when setting up a, a project or an assessment like this, what the students need to know, what kind of training they need. But it also gives readers of the paper an idea of the different types of media that could be used so you've got everything from something like a a podcast or even a a producing a brochure on something all the way through to something much more complicated like doing a blended media film maybe so so actually filming some material but adding some animation all the way through to creating a game which i have no idea how to do (laughs) but i'm sure people in computer science would be great at that Yes, there's loads of different ideas there of practice. So really thinking about how you can stretch and challenge your learners. And we kind of uh, talked about just before we went on air about authentic assessments. So do you feel that that really comes through in terms of your practice as well? Yeah, 100%. So I think a lot of our current or traditional assessments, like I said, writing reports and essays and things, you know, it ticks quite a lot of the boxes of what we think of in terms of authentic assessment and in terms of it being challenging requiring some sort of feedback and evaluation i think where this goes a step further is ticking some of the other boxes in terms of it requiring students to produce something an end product or a performance so in our case it is a podcast or a film that they produce and then obviously the teamwork aspect of it that that element of collaboration is kind of really important to having that kind of real life value to doing an assessment activity like a podcast or a film and that's often the bit that you know, from my own evaluation of both the podcast task and the the filmmaking workshop, students have loved the most. It's an opportunity for them in the big cohorts that they exist in to meet new people with similar interests and to hear different experiences, different perspectives on things. They can kind of end up having a bit of a transformative experience through listening to their peers. But they get all those other skills about, you know, time management. There's no There's no budgets to give them, but, you know, there's plenty of project management skills that they can learn along the way. And, you know, in the way in which we've set some of these assessments up with clear kind of formative tasks, a bit of feedback and reflecting on their work, they can actually kind of start to become better self-regulated learners as a result. 
So we've talked a lot about the benefits and the advantages to students, but also I suppose it's a real advantage to you as well in terms of this gets you out of that marking lull that you can have. I bet you come up have some real innovative practice that you can mark as well. And were there any particular barriers that you had in terms of trying to introduce this practice? There wasn't anything in particular. I mean, we've made a few, I guess, mistakes along the way in the early years of introducing these types of assessment. I mean, talking about marking, you know, one wonderful byproduct of having students work in groups and submitting work within a pair or within a larger group is that you're reducing the marking load, which either means you've got a lower workload or it means you can add in a formative element that wasn't there. And that's exactly what we did with the podcast. So we've got the same number of students as we did years ago when they were writing their essays, but that task never had a formative element to it. Now we've got students working in pairs, so there's half as many podcasts being submitted for the summative assessment, which means that actually we can introduce that formative task without any added assessment or marking burden to staff. They're also way more fun to mark. You know, it's really exciting to kind of listen to students' creativity, how they've chosen to tackle a a subject. And I don't really feel like you get that creativity when when you set them something like an essay or a lab report because they have to follow a very clear and structured template in how they do them. Coming back to what you're saying about barriers or, or challenges, there's always a bit of a lag time when trying to make changes to assessment within within a unit or within a program. There's a certain element of patience when planning these and making sure you go through the right channels and getting sign off on them. But I think given that on my unit catalogue changes, I'd actually reference quite a lot of the work by Jorge Reyna and other people it was quite clear, I think, to um, further up the chain that that actually there was a good pedagogic rationale for doing it um, and that students were really going to benefit from it. But just as an observation, one of the early challenges that, that we faced was about the nature of the groupings between students and how students would react to being paired with someone they didn't know. The first year we ran the podcast task, they had randomised pairings for their formative task, so they were put with someone new, forced to work with someone new and then we also randomized the summative task they had to then swap partners and work with someone else that first year we got a lot of students moaning about their partner not pulling their weight for something that counted towards a unit mark and therefore their degree after that we changed it so the following years and we've done this ever since we randomized the formative pairings so they still get to meet new people which has been really helpful in light of covid and everything and online learning and that kind of lack of cohort sort of community that we see in many I think many different degree programs they get to meet new people make new friends and then we give them a choice of choosing their own summative partner they have to choose someone different so they get a different perspective again and actually we we don't get any complaints anymore about that which is brilliant Um, and it's kind of that nice blend of exposure to working with someone they didn't choose which is really authentic because you know we don't really choose who we work with in our day-to-day jobs but also they feel like they're having a say in the performance of their team member because they get to choose who they work with when it counts towards the summative marks. It's really great to hear. And you're saying building that sense of community, hearing points of view that they wouldn't necessarily have heard of before. So that sounds fantastic. So it only leaves me to kind of say, well, what's next? What's the next big thing that you're thinking of doing in terms of generating these different ways of teaching? I mean, there's plenty of other types of learner-generated digital media that that could be tried. So 
yes, we've got filmmaking, which technically is kind of blended media, how we do it, because we do have students doing stop motion animation as well as going out and recording stuff. And their films are amazing, by the way. We have people from the BBC come in and informally judge at the end of the week, and they're super impressed. And these are people who are working on like Blue Planet 2 and Planet Earth 3, and you know they're really impressed by what our students can do in a week. So maybe that's another avenue is creating stronger links with employers and kind of career opportunities that go with this. And Bristol is absolutely the place to do that in terms of science communication and specifically natural history TV and wildlife TV. I think the other element that I'd really love to do, and if anyone's listening and is keen and get in touch, is to try to take something like the podcast task and make it interdisciplinary. So it's all very well having two biologists talk about something like conservation biology. But what would be amazing is if we had a biologist, I don't know, a a student doing economics and a social scientist all talking about some common problem, maybe something to do more widely with sustainability or climate change or some current big topic um, that they could all feed into with different perspectives. I think there'd be a huge amount for students to learn off each other there. Um, It'd be really progressive, really exciting, and it would fit in with all the things that are being discussed within education for sustainable development and kind of best practice there in terms of interdisciplinary teaching. So I'd love to do that. I haven't got the uh, silver bullet and the kind of the magical answers to how that would work, but I'm really kind of keen to explore that. That sounds fascinating. We'll make sure that you've got your details underneath this podcast link so that people can get in touch if they they are definitely keen to do that. Thank you so much for uh, giving your time up for us today. Um, And thank you very much for all of the different ideas. And hopefully that has inspired a lot of our teachers here at the University of Bristol to go out there and try things. And as you're saying, some of it might be a bit difficult, you might make some mistakes, but the positivity which is coming out of this and the student learning gains which are happening just sounds absolutely wonderful. So thank you very much. Thank you. It's been a pleasure.